Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast for today. I am thankful that you are uh, with us and can enjoy this conversation. I have uh, with us the one and only uh, Don Everts. Welcome. Great to be with you, Jacob. <laughs> it's good to have you with us, uh, too. It's really exciting uh, for many of our listeners and hopefully for our congregation um, that can engage with this content because uh, we have the pleasure of working through one of your books, The Spiritually Vibrant um, Home. But before we kind of dissect and walk through that, that's certainly a big part of what we want to talk about for today. Our church is um, going to do a large group, um, many small group studies on this. But uh, help us know who you are, what would be beneficial for us to know about the one and only uh, Don Everts as we embark on this study, uh, who you are, what you're up to, what you like to do in your free time, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, in brief, I've been uh, in ministry for about 30 years. So I did uh, 14 years of campus ministry. So I worked with college students for a decade and a half. And then uh, and then I've been working in the local church setting, you know, since, since then. Uh, so that shapes, you know, a, a lot of me and my own reading of the Bible and and all that. Um, it might be helpful to know that when I when I wrote the book, uh, we had all three kids living with us. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I, so my wife is Wendy, and and my mom and stepfather were living with us as well. Mm-hmm. And so we were a messy intergenerational household. Um, since the book came out, you know, some time has gone by and two of my kids have launched now. And so we just we, we just have one and my stepfather has passed away. So so th- so things have shifted a little bit. But but, you know, uh, thinking about households uh, was uh, not a theoretical exercise for me. Right. I mean, it was it was kind of in the grind of having teenagers and an elementary school kid and uh, and um, and uh thinking intergenerationally, being at a church with, we have single people, we have retired people, we had, you know, all sorts of people. So that was like the, uh, that was, they say, you know, did you grow this in your own manure pile? That's a German saying. And, and yes, this, you know, what came out of this book, kind of my manure pile was a part of uh, uh, kind of wrestling through um, what my team and I were seeing in the scriptures, what the research was showing us, et cetera. So that, that's a little bit. Is that helpful? No, it's. I think it's very helpful. And I like how you said it. You know, you were in a different season of life than what you are now. But I know for a lot of the conversations we were having, and it's been so encouraging for us, is this book is really written for every season of life. So it doesn't matter. Totally. If, you that's know. right. Yeah. Awesome. If you're the classic, I don't even know if classic's the right word, but if you have that uh, uh, at least traditional model uh, nuclear family that sometimes people conceive of which as you unpack in the book maybe isn't as common as people think anymore that's right that's right that's yeah, right it's for everybody for single that and the whole gamut so yep. that's yep. wonderful that's wonderful well thanks for that and you wrote yeah. the, the book we're going through uh the spiritually vibrant home the spiritually vibrant home uh so you've written several uh books but this one in particular why this how did this come about yeah, kind of, kind of two things, Jacob. It, it was kind of the intersection of two things. One was, one was just my own, uh, you know, life, both in my own household, but then also as a pastor of a local church, 
and just uh, the people there. So kind of just being in this laboratory of um, what, 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 what is it like to do life and to have households in different ages and stages of life? So that, that was a part of it. And then the other part was uh, working at the time with Lutheran Hour Ministries and the Barna Group. And we were studying a different uh, topic nationwide, doing nationwide research uh, every year. And uh, one of the ones that we happened to do a study on was uh, was doing a study of households, Christian households, mm-hmm. uh, in particular looking at spiritually vibrant ones, and uh, and then just saying, do, do those do households where the faith is thriving, do those households have? And then comparing those with other households, and and what do we learn? And there were fascinating things that we found in the research. Some of them shocked us. Some of them confirmed things that we were like, "Oh yeah, that ma- that totally makes sense." Yep. Uh, and and then and then all of that pushed us back into the Bible to say, "What does God say about households? What is a household? And how are we supposed to be relating with the people in place right around us? And how how does our faith work in community?" And so that's why th- this is a very tender topic. Uh, as we were doing the research, I was working with a, a Sunday school class, a group of people in my church uh, ov- over the time of this period. And we would just wrestle with the things together. And it was, it's, it was Jacob. It was very, very tender. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and we had people of every age and stage in that class all wrestling with these things. Uh, and, and that was a part of why this book as well, because it became clear, like, this is really important. And we don't talk about it necessarily like this maybe as much as we should. Well, it was helpful. Yes, affirmed everything you said. What I liked about it was uh, certainly the theological apparatus that you put around the whole conversation, but with Barna and your own research with them, you gave concrete, practical advice to Mm -hmm. what Christians can actually do. Because I think, you know, so often, um, I don't know if lacking is the right word, but sometimes, you know, we focus so much on the theoretical that sometimes we kind of leave the practical yeah. application yeah. to the end. <laughs> and that is at the forefront in this book of what you're that's, doing. That's right. That's right. And, and we even, uh, and, and I mean, just to, yes, and you, it really our team then with things we found and like, man, this, and this is like, I mean, this is rubber meets the road stuff. And that's actually what led us to develop then a lot of like really, really practical resources to go around the book, many of which are free because it, it was so obvious. Like this is, this is like, this is really, really practical stuff. And so how do we equip people of different ages and stages to um, be experimenting and be, you know, to try to grow in these different areas? Well, that is a good thing. And uh, taking a turn and diving into the content for today. Yeah. Uh, you then applied and looked at the concept of household, and then you, you extrapolated into uh, three um, general ideas that you then continue to cultivate throughout the rest of the book. But the idea yeah. of household is what you unpack. Uh, and if I'm representing you correctly, you really mm-hmm. focused on the Old Testament. I think it was 2,000 references you pulled out. Is that right? Yeah, over 2,100 in the whole Bible, over 2,100 reference, explicit references of households. Yeah. And the emphasis that I love so much was how God worked through those things. God works through messy conversations. God works through the uh, prayers and the like. And it is always his activity through those things. But it's always within the context of household. 
Um, yeah. Speak to that idea of household, especially as we alluded to at the beginning, uh, maybe for those who uh, are going to engage this book and don't have that, uh, you know, little kids in the house and it's mom yeah. and dad, maybe their yeah. family's blended in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was eye opening to us is, I mean, it's there in the Bible. Like it's, <laughs> we're not inventing this, but you kind of read over it. You, you know what I mean? And you, you sort of, like, oh, Noah did this. Well, actually what it says is Noah and his household did this. Or the 12 tribes, you know, the, the, the 12 descendants, they did this. Well, that's true, but it actually says in the tribes and their households did this. So when you put on the household lens and you start flipping through the Bible, you're like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's everywhere. That, that God invented the household. God wants people to operate as his people within households, that he uses households, that what you do in your household, what you do affects your household and vice versa. I mean, th they're really, really important. But to your point about, well, so what is a household? So, so this is where, I mean, it's a little bit defined by culture a little bit. It's kind of what defines this. In the Old Testament, the average household size, um, and this is what scholars uh, talk about, is about 70 people. Hmm. Okay, so so when we think household, we you know we're thinking mommy, daddy, two and a half kids, or whatever it is. The household in the Bible, you know, so so when uh, you know when it's like as you know Joshua, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He wasn't picturing his spouse and a couple kids. Right. He was probably picturing dozens of people and so these were these were like um your your core family your extended family uh other other i mean you could talk about like business associates or like colleagues it could be um travelers who are resting within the hospitality of your household for a time uh neighbors depending on and so in the old testament it's it's uh, it's it's a group of people who are in and out of your life that you have contact with. And even if you fast forward into the New Testament in the ancient Near East, it was kind of the same. I mean, it was, it was so it was different. It was more influenced by Greco-Roman things. But even there, the households were still very, very large units. And so anytime in the New Testament, there's a reference to household. It has this larger thing in mind. So in other words, um, you know, as we were saying, what's the modern equivalent of that? And, and so it's sort of like, like for me, it was like, well, my wife and my kids, well, my mom and her husband, also my dad, he doesn't live with us, but my kids have a relationship with him. We like relate with him. And then also like we had some key, key friends like Bosetti and Cyprus who were like adults in our lives who they did holidays with us. They were in and out of our lives. They related with our kids. Like they were a part of our household. Um, the Mackies, this family that lived down the street and we would vacation together. And like, I'm, their kids were younger than ours and I'm having a relationship with them. They're having a relationship with ours. Uh, people who are in and out of the house. So we actually developed a whole like map that you, you can like map your household. The whole point of all of this, Jacob, is Cyprus was this single woman in her 40s. And when we were studying this together, she had like this epiphany moment and she said, wait a second, I'm a part of your household. Mm. And I said, yeah. And she said, that makes me like take my relationship with Taya, your daughter, more seriously. Like, because like God sees our relationship and it matters to him. And so 
And so she, and then she realized, and I'm also part of the McDonald's household because there's this other family that she was a key part of their household. Um, you know, you know that we had grandparents, a lot of grandparents in our class who went, wait, 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 it's just me and my wife living together now, but we're a part of our grandkids' household. We're a part of these people at church. We're kind of they don't have local family, and we've kind of adopted them, and you know we're in their household. And so what we realized as we were studying this in our church mm-hmm. was that. Everyone has a household and everyone is involved in multiple other people's households, which is why the findings are so relevant for all of us, no matter what age and stage you're in. Because we're all connected in some way, shape or form to it. That's right. There's no That's escape, right. which is a good thing. It's the way God designed it's a great, it. It's, right. It's, 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 it's what we're intended for. Are there some people who are living so isolated that really they're not involved in? Yeah, but that's not how we're meant to live. And 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 so this even speaks to that, right? Like we're meant to live in households. We're meant to have relationship with others. That's a beautiful thing. And that is the framework I know for most of uh, the book. You kind of establish that as one of your uh, basic premises and yeah. then you go to unpack it. And some of the things you do to unpack it, um, certainly those three key aspects are messy prayers, uh, loud tables and open doors. Um, yeah. You know, we could spend, oh, Don, <laughs> in a good way. We could have a whole series. That's um, right. That's right. But for our listeners uh, who are just going to consume this and have a high level, yeah. overview, can you speak to those three things and yes. why those, at least, um, guideposts you chose to highlight? Yeah. So, we chose to highlight them because they were what was st- 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 statistically significant. So just the mathematicians at Barna said there are three things, there are three characteristics that spiritually vibrant households have that are significantly different in households that don't report that the faith is thriving there. Does that make sense? And 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 so those three things were what we're talking about here. So high level, messy prayers. Mm-hmm. Uh Households that have faith thriving in them, and there's a scale. It's not binary. You know what I mean? It's not like you're this or you're not. Yeah. But what the, what, what the research tells us that if is if a household is relating with God together, mm-hmm. if a household is relating with God together, it changes the game. And so if they're praying together, or they're in the Word together, or you know they pray at meals, or they you know, and what we found was that it it doesn't have to be great prayers. <laughs> this is this is why we call it messy prayers. It, it it doesn't you don't have to be like a great prayer. Does that make sense? In fact, you don't even have to do it. I, I remember one dad was like, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray out loud. And I said, here's the good news. Just say, I think someone should pray before we eat. I think someone should pray before we start driving away on our vacation. Because actually, even just that, being someone who says we should relate with God together. It doesn't so messy prayers changes the game for for, for households. The, the second one is loud tables. So the other the other uh, characteristic that came up that showed in the research was if families talk with each other. So so if they're if they are having conversations with each other, it changes the game. And so that's why we talk about loud tables because the research also showed us that the most common place where families where households are all together is around food. Uh, and with, you know, busy household, doesn't matter. Everyone's going to eat at some point. And, and so there's something about households 
talking. Again, uh, loud tables, right? So just be where you are interacting with each other, where you talk about your lives, you talk about your days, you talk about what's going on. And we developed a lot of resources to help people do that who are like, yeah, we don't talk to each other. <laughs> like, how do we start doing that? We developed some res resources. So messy prayers, loud tables. And then the third one, Jacob, this is the one that really surprised us. We were not going into the research expecting this. It really shocked us. Open doors. We found a correlation between hospitality and spiritual vitality. And, he, and, and in other words, the more there are people in and out of someone's household, the more spiritually vibrant that household is. And that, and this is, you know, the researchers are very careful about um, making claims about causation. And they're more about, we know there's a correlation, but this is actually the one where the researchers, I'm like, you sure you want to put it that way? Because they, we have to be very careful with our verbs and how we say it. Because they're like, no, the research didn't show that. It showed this. This is the one where they're like, actually, like if you isolate your household, that is a risk factor for spiritual unhealth. Hmm. And we don't know why, Jacob. We don't know why having more people in and out of your household causes spiritual vibrancy or corresponds with spiritual vibrancy, but it does. Now we look in the scriptures and we see God calls us to be hospitable, entertain the stranger. You know, God calls us to live lives where we are welcoming people in. But part of what we found, Jacob, like even if the people who are coming into the household are there to help you, right? like a tutor is coming in to help, you know, it, it doesn't matter or it doesn't matter why they're coming in, but having open doors, there's something about the interaction, the increased interaction. And I have thoughts about it, but the research just says hospitality leads to spiritual vibrancy. I mean, they get close to causation there. So those are the three. And we focused on them because the research uh, showed that they were statistically significant. And then as you know, bible people, we read the Bible and we go, you know what? It turns out God calls us to interact with him as households. He calls us to be interacting with each other and doing life together. And he actually calls us to live lives of hospitality. So it kind of confirms what we read in scripture. It is funny how that works out sometimes. It's like, like he knows what he's talking about. That's right. That's right. That's right. So for point three, that um, it's interesting. You're right. Uh, that maybe you didn't go into it, into the study thinking that might be one. And yet it really was a strong yeah. indicator. Do you think in the future, that'll be something you try and draw out with future research? Is there something in the works? Is it under wraps? It well, we did. Well, <laughs> we actually did follow it up with a, with a study about neighborhoods. In, in other words, how do Christians relate with the people in the place right around them? So we, so we did, we dove in more to that, um, not just about hospitality per se, but more how do individual Christian or how do Christians or Christian households relate with the people who live and work right around them uh, and uh, found out fascinating things, wrote another book. <laughs> I came up with a lot of resources from that. That led to another research project, but uh, but yes, it surprised us uh, kind of joyfully, if you will, uh, in terms of because um, because I, I think I mean, if we can get real for a second, um, I think there can be this thought, especially in, a, in our post Christendom moment 
there can be a thought that the thing to do as a Christian is to isolate myself from the icky culture around me and the icky people around me. And I, and I pop up from my little den and I scurry over to church and then I'm safe. I'm with other Christians. And then I pop up, maybe I go to a small group, but <laughs> the belief is that if I, and as a parent, I was writing this as a parent, right. And parents feel like I need to protect my kids from the world. And obviously we do need to do that. So I'm, I don't want to overplay my hand here, but it turns out if we isolate that, that's actually unhealthy. It actually uh, is not spiritually healthy for us. And I think that's a, that's a good kind of corrective. That's a good reminder. I think for a lot of us. I think so too. Uh, and just that encouragement also uh, not only for those who might tend to do that, but also uh, for those who it might be a growth opportunity uh, for yeah. maybe no other reason than, uh, you know, they're busy with the habits of the day and busy with work. Yeah. And just another good encouragement. Yeah. It really does stuff. If you actually interact with other people, it grows the kingdom and grows the conversation in your own yeah. faith. Yeah. Uh, so as we look at those three things and, uh, and we uh, are coming to the end of our time. But as we look at those yeah. three things for today, you know, practical developments, you have many in the book and you make uh, the assertion, which is beautiful, that these are the habits that can be improved upon, which is a yeah. good thing. Yeah. Uh, is there any habits or um, practices that might lead to those three things, the messy prayers, loud tables, open doors, that you really want to highlight for our listeners for today that you might say, man, you're listening and this is one thing you can do yeah. for each of them or one of them, yeah. please do this. Uh, well, people will be happy to know it has to do with food. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, re it, it really, you know, there, there is something about table fellowship. And actually there's, there, you, I mean, you could do a New Testament study on the importance of what happens around the table and around food, let alone the Lord's Supper. I mean, even leave the Lord's Supper out of it. There's a significance. There's something that happens when we eat a meal with people. It's like a unit of time, unless you're like wolfing food down really fast and leaving. A meal is a unit of time. It's communal. We do have a way of like being on our phones while we eat. So I, and something we eat in front of our TVs and stuff like that. But But if you're around a table, and so I'm making the case of eating a meal around a table, whether you're at a restaurant or at home. If you're around a table, you're looking people in the eyes. Uh, it's harder to, you know, have, have your thing. It's a moment of time. Uh, it's harder to multitask while you're eating. There's something about, like, if I were just going to encourage one thing, like eat with people in your life around a table. That's like, and, and because you're having conversation, and we know that that is a healthy thing, uh, having conversation. And then, and then if you decide to, you know, uh, pray at the beginning of the meal or at the end of the meal, or hey, before you guys go home, can we just pray for you and your family? I mean, you can do some of that other stuff. It is a, a hospitable act. So there's something, Jacob, if, if, if I was just going to say one thing, like do an audit and, and list out over the last month. How many times have you sat around a table with other human beings and eaten a meal together? And just like to, to evaluate and, and then and then go forward. And if you're someone who does it all the time, invite more people because there are people who live who who maybe they don't experience it that much. Invite them to eat a meal with you. It's amazing what can happen in that kind of environment, just in a circle, 
uh, having conversation, a couple messy prayers, maybe doesn't have to be fancy, but it's amazing what that can lead to and how healthy that is. So that's one thing I would say. And I think that's a, that is a beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful way to close out our time because um, I am confident when our people continue to dive into this book um, and maybe you're listening and not connected uh, to this congregation study that we're doing here, but you still want to pick up a copy of the Spiritually Vibrant Home, you will see how that really runs a thread throughout this entire thing. So uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Don, for taking out the time to talk to us for today. It means a lot. And I know it does for our people too. As we close out for today, um, could I put you on the spot for a messy prayer to close us out? Do it. Let's do it. We'll apply it. I love it. I love it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Jacob. I thank you for my brothers and sisters at St. Paul. Um, we thank you that you see our households. You see our interconnectedness uh, with all its warts, uh, with all the lack of perfection, all the beauty and the joy of it, Father. Thank you that you notice our households, that you care about our households. And I just thank you that you, in your word, uh, you call us uh, to be growing more and more over time. And so I just pray, Father, that you would give blessings to the households at St. Paul. I pray that uh, I pray for uh, grandparents, that they would be encouraged that uh, children are very open to spiritual conversations with grandparents, more so than even from their own parents. And so I pray that grandparents would feel, feel emboldened. Uh, Father, I pray for uh, uh, parents uh, who sometimes struggle just to manage getting food on the table and keeping laundry half done. And I pray that you would encourage them that there are just even little things that they can do that really do make a big difference. And Father, I pray for all of us who are somewhere in between those two things. And we thank you that you call us to experience rich relationships and it's how you've designed us. And so would you help us, maybe even through this season of study, find even a little ourselves a little more richer in relationship and help us lean into the relationships with people uh, in our lives even more. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and I pray that he would be working powerfully uh, in this congregation. And I pray in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Don, and thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time, or you can listen next time. May God richly bless you. Bye-bye.